Welcome to another episode of Scouting for Growth, a podcast where we delve into the minds of industry leaders, innovators, and change makers. I'm your host, Sabine Van Der Linden, and today we have a very special guest joining us. Lisa Wardlow is a friend, is an acquaintance, it's a partner, a trailblazer in the insurance sector as well, a digital strategist, and an innovation enthusiast known as the queen of core tech and the breaker of status quo, Lisa has been instrumental in transforming the financial services industry. Lisa is a global leader as well with a knack for creating sustainable revenue streams and reinventing business strategies through technology and abstract thinking. We know each other now for quite a few years, and what I've seen in our approach is all about delivering incremental improvements as well. Lisa is about authenticity. It is about driving authentic change as well. And she also is very much well known for being a visionary who believes in leveraging the tools of tomorrow for radically transforming our industry, but other industries too. Lisa's passion, though, lies in building radical different business strategies and different business models. So we often talk about horizon two and three and looking maybe probably more long term than short term when we work with corporations we work with or young ventures and tech founders. And that is whether it is through ecosystem formation, artificial intelligence, blockchain, or machine learning, we combine it all, right? It's about leveraging technology and business and combining it pretty much seamlessly together nowadays. But today, we are not just talking about Lisa's impressive career in insurance and technology. We are diving into our new program. I already mentioned it probably last week. So if you have not listened to last week's podcast, please listen to it. We are launching a series, a new authentic identity mastermind, which we are going to deliver across the world um, for the face-to-face component, but also building a digital component because we have been asked for it as well. And we hope that you will be as passionate as we are and our colleague Jessica Award to attend one of our sessions or dive into the solution. So this program is all about empowering professionals to craft and communicate their authentic professional narratives, our industries, finance and insurance. And we look forward to going into other sectors as well. For us, it's all about authentic leadership and the role it plays in organizations, but also for those who are going into new careers or building their new ventures. So buckle up as we embark on this exciting journey with Lisa Wardlow, exploring the concept of personal and corporate branding and authentic identity building and execution, the impact of emerging technologies and the importance of continuous learning in shaping one's personal and professional identity. So let's get started. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Welcome. 
I'm so excited to be here, Sabine. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe I've never visited you here before. <laughs> I know, I know. And thank you very much for giving me some of your time today. I'm so excited because we can dive into some of the things we actually are working on as well for 2024. But first, Lisa, I want to start with you and you know, a little bit of an introduction for our listener of who you are, where you come from, where you have been and where you're going next. <laughs> well, I, as they say, a little bit of a wanderlust. So where we're going next? Who uh, no, uh, let's start with who I am. And I, I'll try to do, gosh, I feel like so many people may or may not know a lot of my journey, but let's just start with, I was raised by, um, both my mom and my dad dropped out of college, got married, and they had me. And they were both self-made business people. So they own their own business. And I grew up in Florida and Missouri. So kind of a combination between the two. And, um, you know, I think I say this a lot, but a lot of understanding me is knowing that my mom is a dancer. And so that create big vision and see my mom had this uncanny ability to visualize something and then basically create it into matter. And so that's a huge part of who I am. It took me a long time to figure that out. We'll talk about that later. Um, but my dad's an engineer. So everything was very like executed and very much. And my dad could see components, pieces and parts. He was the youngest of six children. His dad died when he was 15 years old. And my grandma raised him as a single working woman, as a court reporter, actually in the state of Florida. And my dad's a self-made man, meaning like, Sabine, there's literally nothing my dad can't fix. Like when I say like can't fix, like he built my mom's dance studio from scratch, like okay. everything. Um, so if, if I think about like who I am and how that really related to my career, um, at the time it really didn't make, it didn't dawn on me that that was anything nouveau or unique. It was that my parents wanted the best for me. I was pretty smart and they wanted me to go to school and get a good education like us all, right? Yes, like us all. And, you know, it's <laughs> interesting because we have a few things in common in the sense that my, my father is an entrepreneur, he's in fashion. But, you know, the engineering mind you were talking about, about your dad, whilst he's in fashion, he actually constructs the design of the clothes, right? Take the design yeah. and construct the the component. So you need to be a major in math to be able to do that, to actually be able to see things and then say, oh, that's going to fit. That is not going to fit. This is going. And he does haute couture, right? And uh, prêt-à-porter. So some of the most complex design. So tell me, Lisa, your best experiences. I want to dive next level. So uh, when yeah. you look at your life, what has been some of your most amazing experiences? And maybe if you don't mind sharing some, which may have been a little bit of a pen in the butt for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, Sabine, I always think of my best experiences as being these moments of kind of like Zen, but you probably didn't realize in the moment that they were like that. You just know that you're energized and like, just like nothing in that moment feels better. And for me, it was really when I was actually, <laughs> people laugh about it on LinkedIn because it's one of my like longest titles ever in the history of titles that kind of make fun of me. But I was like CFO, COO, head of digital strategy. And I don't know, like people would make fun of my title. And it, if I'm being honest, Lisa Bean, it really like my favorite time had nothing to do with the title. It's that nobody was confining me to a box. 
and the box being like a linear job function or role. And so I was getting to sit in this amazing time where we were doing transformation, but I was getting to sit above all that yeah. and like figure out really how to drive businesses forward. So I was trying to figure out like how to ensure algorithms, which I know is funny because that was like at least five years ago and we still don't so have that insurance. You are one of the first who actually look at ensuring AI, right? Algorithmic. Yeah. Underwriting yeah. yeah. as an example. Mm, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it was just funny because the juxtaposition at the time was, I was trying to figure out how much of the world was going to run on algorithms and AI, the precursor well before Gen AI. I mean, this would have been like 2016, 2017. Yeah. And at the same time, I was trying to figure out how to do things like, for example, fluidless underwriting. So like, automation in a digital form, but like with a bigger, you and I talk about horizon two, horizon three. I'd say that was the best. Um, I would say the worst or the most difficult, the most difficult were, and I worked a lot of hours growing up because similarly to you, I started as a consultant and I, you know, working 80 hour weeks was like nothing, you know, we'd work a 23 hour day and get an hour to take a shower. And that was like a badge of honor. So I grew well, up in a very, like, to repeat that, Lisa, we were used <laughs> to work 23 hours. A yeah. Day, right. Yeah. And take a shower and read the paper and, you know, do everything in one go. Right. I remember situations <laughs> like this. I think it's very important because I think the world we're in has changed a lot. Right. Yeah. I would say that during those days, and clearly there's just like this human, by the way, I'm not glamorizing um, human fatigue and physicality no. and the fact that the body needs rest in no way, shape or form. But um, it was really difficult for me because there weren't a lot of men that were assigned to these engagements. And I remember this one senior manager at the time, I would say things like, like we would work a 22, 23 hour day, Sabine. Mm -hmm. And I was literally trying to compute because I live in Atlanta if I had time to drive home, take a 15 minute shower, grab a quick snack and physically drive back. So I actually joined the local, this little gym at this tower where the company was based because I decided that it was, I was like trying to make a game of this. I'm like, well, I can actually sleep for like maybe 20 minutes. I can get a shower. Maybe I can run on the treadmill if I needed to wake up. And they actually had like a cafeteria or whatever. And then the other juxtaposition of this is sometimes we wouldn't even go out for dinner. There were no like lavish lunches or dinners. I was told by this one senior manager, like, if you can't find a way to make an entire week last out of a vending machine, like you're a slacker or whatever. I can't remember what he said to me. So I think the most difficult times in my life were um, trying to figure out how to navigate this very intense physical world like like in terms of endurance is what I mean yeah. with the obsession I had with learning and curiosity because clearly I was like oh like I want to I want to see all this so I wasn't somebody that's like yeah this is just not for me see you later like most people checked out two years after I mean I stayed my first round in at eight and a half years which was kind of unheard of mm -hmm. but it was really difficult Right. Like, like you probably remember those days. It was not. Yeah, easy, I was there right? for eight years as well. Just to let you know. <laughs> magic eight, the magic number eight. <laughs> magic number eight. Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I enjoyed the 
intellectual stimulation and also the, the mentors and sponsors, you know, I was surrounded by, I mean, uh, that is invaluable. And, and you know that, right? That a lot of the learning and the things we can do today is because of these tough times as well. That's true. It creates that, well, you and I talked about it a little bit on a, on the inquiry, but it creates a core or a foundation not only in terms of your elasticity, but just what you've been exposed to that I think you're able to tap into now, right? It's like this experiential foundation that you're able to tap into, which gives you a different perspective okay. than had you not gone through it. Um, and clearly there's other ways to go through it. You don't have to go through it in those literal ways I described. <laughs> like That's like one of those, like, do not repeat these things, you know, like legal disclosures right there. <laughs> Exactly. Right. And so it's about always finding the right balance. And I think we need to anchor that experience drive where we are going as well. And uh, for instance, you know, when you look at what you are doing with the young ventures you are working with today, you know, how you are providing with the, to them, you know, a little bit of therapy and energy boost in the way they design their strategy. It's about leveraging all this knowledge to allow them to be better, faster, you know, more successful by leveraging and tapping into that knowledge, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's a little bit, Sabine, about, um, you know, I think sometimes having gone through things and having experience, being able to say like when enough is enough. Yeah. Being a, because I, I think there's this like, sometimes it's like at all costs you do it. And I think because clearly having gone through the at all cost upraising in the corporate career world, I think sometimes when I say, no, that's enough, it's not going to work or we need to, we need to pivot. We need to twist. We need to adapt. Or sometimes I'm like, I'm going to throw my body in the front of the train. I'm not going to let you continue with that. And the CEO or the founder is like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, we can't. And I think being able to come to quick decisions based on experience, meaning you're not just saying no to say no, you're not just saying yes to say yes, I think brings a lot to people who are lesser experienced, in particular in insurance, right? Like you and I have had that latitude of, we've lived through a lot of different iterations of things. We still are, we we naturally see horizon two and horizon three. So we're not the people saying no, because yeah. that's the way it was always done. But we have enough like experiential foundation and conceptual agility, if you think about it like that, to know like, okay, what's going to work and what's absolutely not going to work. And, and you and I talk about that a lot. Indeed, indeed. But for instance, you know, some of the work you are doing on your on your podcast, uh, right, Insurance and the Plug, uh, is a way and a means to start bringing and connecting those dots between insurance and technology and the venturing world, Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a, well, thank you. We, I mean, you're one of my inspirations for having a podcast and um, being, I mean, I told you this, right. I'd always been like, Oh, I want to do a podcast. And because I'm much more of a spoken person than I am a written person. And so I was very adamant that the theme of it had to be things that people wouldn't otherwise be saying like on a stage, which is where I came up like, like MTV unplugged the insurance unplugged, but really giving people a format in a forum to say, listen, this may be 
this is actually what people are talking about. They may not advertise if that's what they're talking about. They may not want you to know that that's what's going on behind closed doors, but this is the discussion or the debate that people are actually having in a sense of how do we move this forward? So I really enjoy it. And it's, it's really fun to get to amplify the leaders of the industry and to help them connect those dots. I mean, it's, it's just been a total, like amazing experience for me, not being the interviewee, but to be the interviewer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, sure. And so now I want to ask you around some of the things we are planning for 2024, because we started on this journey last year. And I think it's, Great to have you go and dive into authentic identity and personal branding because people relate to personal and corporate branding. And if you go and push the layer of what it is, it's about authenticity and really be clear around what you represent, what your purpose is and what your identity is. So I want to ask you first, you know, what is authentic identity? What are we trying to do, Lisa, with our masterminds, right? Oh my How gosh. Well, take advantage of it. Well, I, I think the first thing is, you know, it it happened as all good ideas do very serendipitously. So meaning, you know, you, me and Jess were sitting around at kind of like triangulation. I think it may have happened. I do remember it happened in London after London last year. So shout out to London, um, which is where we're going to be into 2024. You know, it's this observation of a couple of things that, that coalesced that you, me and Jess put together. I think the first thing is, we have this misunderstanding or misconception or idea that the more experienced and more mature you get in your career, the less um, guidance that you need, that you've got it like all figured out. I mean, and I think for me personally, you know, I was like 45 when I had to totally reinvent myself. And I just like, I don't know about you, but if we kind of connect it to the discussion you and I were just having, I kind of felt like, or maybe I was raised to feel like if you work hard and you pay your dues, you know, you, you do the, the gritty hours, you don't complain, you keep your head down, you, you know, you, you, you earn it. I, yeah. I, I start from that you've built up in essence, earning it What what never, for whatever reason dawned on me is that I had earned my title. I had earned my job. I was earning my income. But in those days and ages, I was so focused on just the work that I didn't own my own identity. Like the one thing I could own, the one thing that was mine and mine alone, I never controlled. And so for me, Sabine, anyway, it happened... And I mean, some people know this story, but when when my role got eliminated, the one that I loved the most, I looked at the clock and I often tell this story. It's very emotional for me, but I'll try to tell it in a non-emotional way. I looked at the clock when this was all going, when this was all happening. And I had to focus on the clock so that I wouldn't cry, uh, you know, like breathing techniques. And I remember distinctly knowing that it was less than three minutes less than three minutes that like my phone, my emails, my contact, in essence, my entire identity to me had been eliminated. Like, like I can relate to how people feel ghosted, right? Because in that moment in my corporate career, and by the way, I mean, it was the highest up in my career I had ever achieved. Yeah. 
was gone, like gone. And I was like, what do I do now? And I remember the first conversation I had with this career coach, maybe like a week later. They were like, so how many contacts do you have on LinkedIn? I'm like, I don't know. Like, why would I pay attention to that? Like, I remember telling them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. (laughs) I had fear. And and Lisa, you won't believe, you know, I sign up for uh, one of the platform we talked about. You won't believe the question they ask me as I go through the process for signing up and um, to actually do, you know, the digital component of what we want to build. How many contacts, how many followers question how many followers do you have across all your social platform you know and they go through the number and 50 to 100,000 100,000 to a million and I thought this is an interesting question just so that you know and and I mean you know I've learned so much from you right like you are not only my friend and business partner but like I'm always like Sabine teach me because like I came about this very like I was like two levels down from board of management <laughs> like, and I bought so much tech a year. Okay. All the innovation workshops, all the yeah. you know bougie things you could get invited to. And I'm like, I've got fewer than 300 LinkedIn connections. Like, what am I going to do? And of course, like Sabine, this is the authentic part. Sorry. I'm going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely was not going to just go on a wild, like connect with me. I don't like, I'm not saying that I know literally every single person that follows me, but I I wanted to build authentic and by authentic, I mean, engagement with people that, that like what we cared about mutually was relevant. Absolutely. And I didn't know how to do that. Like pause, stop there. Yeah. I was this super outgoing, high energy performer. And I think I brought a lot into any room that I went into to try to solve a problem, Mm -hmm. but I had never focused on building that. So I felt, Sabine, the best way I can describe it to you, and you met me not long after this, which is how we started becoming friends. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was a five-year-old going to kindergarten saying like, Sabine, how do I learn how to read? Yeah. Interesting question. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. Which, which I think now the reason why you, me and Jess connected is first of all, if you're listening to this, please don't think not me. Like this could never happen to me. So, so interesting. It happened to you, but this could never happen to me because every single one of us, this absolutely can yeah. happen to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think super important to realize it can happen to anybody. You know, for corporations, I have to be honest, we are disposable. And, you know, I'm very grateful. I'm saying I'm very, very grateful. You know, when I was at IBM, the first things they, they used to tell us is, people, we love you, but you are replaceable. Don't think job is for life. So you just yeah. anchor in your brain, okay, you you got a great job. You have a great career on your on the way. But you know what? job cuts may occur. And, you know, a few months after I joined, there was, um, you know, a job cut and some of my colleagues and and friends, all of us, you know, could have gone, you know, and some of my colleagues and friends went. And then you have this realization. For me, that was my first realization that we are dispensable. And so, 
And today, in today's world where talent is so important, it's very interesting to see how that balance is going to play, particularly in times of uncertainty and in times where people like you and I are looking maybe for different things in how we, we create career and how we are make, make our values, our beliefs, you know, real in the marketplace. Yeah. So tell us, what is the program about? You know, what are we trying to do with it? Yeah, so that that's a great segue, right? Um, I think the first thing is we're not here to tell you how you have to be on social media. The program is not like you have to follow this prescriptive thing. It's not a post three times on social media, you know, which I love Gary Vee, but it's not like a how you do what you do. It's not you have to have a podcast. You have to post this many times on social media. Tactics, Lisa. Let's just say tactics. That is the way we are. That's a Exactly. So I wanted to just say what it's not, because I think a lot of times people feel like, oh, either that can't happen to me or, hey, that's not for me because you don't have to emulate. This is the actual whole point of the course. You get to be and discover and emulate exactly who you are. And how you're. Yeah. And how you show how you show up has to connect to that. So Sabine, like for me, like, and what we're trying to show people is, um, first of all, that is not about your title or your role, like who you are, what you show up for your purpose and mission is something like deep intrinsic. That's not your job title. So for me, it's, I like to use all my experience all my curiosity and conceptual agility to solve problems that other people can't solve, obviously, at scale. Like I'm a breaker of status quo. Like whatever people would normally think you get out of the room or escape the room, I'm like, my purpose is to show people that the impossible is possible in ways that are actually achievable. That was not what I would have told you three years ago, Sabine. I would have been like, you know, I'm good at numbers. I'm really good at strategy. I'm really good at tech. Like, right. But my inner wiring, my authenticity comes from solving problems. And like, I like discovering the way to solve it that nobody else could. So Lisa, tell me, how does the program empowers professional to craft, develop their own authentic identity and professional path? Yeah. So we spent a lot of time thinking through how do we take something that's relatively abstract and that's relative, like I would say not as familiar to people and think through like, it's not a tactic, but it's actually a strategy and it's actually action oriented. So what we really do is we start with identifying like who you are and your purpose, which, you know, we have tools to help people do this to me because as I mentioned earlier a lot of people start with the like job role title what I want for myself in terms of those things but they miss the part of like what's the underlying pattern that's like consistent across all the things I do so we start there and then we move from that you know audit and understanding discovering who you are you know that editing part and we get very deep. We go into industrial psychology tools to enable that, which I find very fascinating still. I still yeah. love reading back through those. Then we connect that into your personal mission statement. And then we extend that into your voice. 
and all the way down into your, you know, your brand architecture archetype and your brand architecture, like all the way from fonts, colors, et cetera, which gets a little bit more complicated to me, but we have um, a, a workbook, we have tools, we have experience. The thing I love about it, which is something I, I love is that it's not cookie cutter. You have, I mean, I, I think it's funny when you think of going to personal branding workshops, that's like, here, fill this in, become this. Like you can't, <laughs> It, 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 we can't do a pick your path in advance because everyone has a different intrinsic journey. Indeed. Everyone's probably at a different level of where they are and where they want to be. I mean, I still am like working on mine and, you know, I probably started this journey three and a half, four years ago, even though I had a lot of like very vocal, like who I was in terms of my opinion. Um, but I'm still working on, like, I would say that, brand consistency and art, art architecture, like fonts as an example to me, like, right. Like I used to just hire people and say, create a website for me or create this for me. And I wouldn't give them this input. But if I step back, the four hours is really, first of all, it's deeply emotional because it's like, you're learning things that you thought you already knew. And so it's like these, cause mostly it's experienced people. And so yeah. we're not used to like discovering that we have these um, white spaces of things that we didn't know about ourselves. Step A. Step B is really to then think through, well, who do I want to be? Because back to my point that we started about like the one thing you own yep. is your identity. And mm -hmm. I know this is similar for you too, Sabine. It's like, it wasn't about startup boot camp. It was about Sabine Vanderleeden. And who you are. You're right. And, you know, it's interesting because as you, you go and do your projects and the project becomes you, you have to disentangle yourself at some point. And, and then that's where you realize where you, you may have looked at the problem slightly the wrong way, if I can use those terms, because yeah. you need to be stronger than the brands which surround you. And this is why I want to have many brands around me. So there's something bigger than, yeah. you know, Alchemy Crew, Authentic Identity, any other project we're working on, right? Because we may actually build new brands. But the key thing is you have your core. You are Lisa. I have my core. I'm Sabine. And that comes first. And, and that drove our path. And what you were saying is this job around authentic identity building, one of us need to do it. And we never realize when is the right time, but then it hits us that we we don't have a voice potentially. We yeah. are mixed up. Are there people that are confused about who we are? And whether we are a tech founder, a visionary, an expert in any field, but also a corporate executive, we all need to do it because it might be about the next job or it might be when I go into retirement. Do I need to write mm -hmm. this book? I mean, you know, that that, yeah. that transformation is continuous. So I want to make sure people realize it's not something which are coming out of nowhere. It is proper theory and science and Correct. art at the same time. Right, Lisa? Yeah. And I would say the reason why we're so passionate about it as a project is that we all had to navigate it when there wasn't the science was always there, but there wasn't this deep awareness of it for people. So for my goal in this 
project with authentic identity with you and Jess is that other people don't end up in a situation that like I found myself in personally yep. where they had to not only start from scratch, but they had to navigate it without the tools, the science and the framework. So I was like navigating it in a point of stress and without really knowing. So that's step A. And then I think step B for me in ter terms of purpose is, you know, I think a lot about artists and, and actors, Sabine. And you know, the actors or the actresses that start to turn down roles because they're like, well, if I accept that role, I'm always going to be seen in this way. And I think yeah. that actors and actresses might be the best example that I can use of this just to take it out of like ourselves yeah. and our career. Interesting. But yeah. they will accept or turn down roles to say, well, I've been branded a little too much as whatever the, you know, middle-aged mom. And I don't want to be branded that way anymore. Cause I, and so their agents will try to go get them roles that kind of counterbalance them being seen as an actor or an actress, not this persona. I think a lot about that when I think about authentic identity and the difference is actors and actresses have an agent, right? Yeah. Yes. Which we have to right. become be absolutely right. Very good. Well, which takes me, Lisa, if you don't mind, is you're already talking about the actor, the actresses, the agents, because I don't think I don't think I could have done my authentic identity audits and all the stuff we are doing together without having a Jess or you, because you need somebody else to look at it. The key thing about when you do those things is you can try to do it on your own, but you have to check to have a check with other people. And it, it is critical because otherwise you are just going into that depth of analysis, potentially paralysis, without actually realizing that you need an external party to actually tell you, yes, that's right, if you see what I mean, and I, it resonates when I see you and so on and so forth. But what I want you to go into now is what has been the inspiration for us what are potentially some success stories we can talk about as well well I think that we all have our personal and our like icon success stories and inspiration but I think well well first of all you're right we have to have that network and even I guess I'll say this, this happened to me this weekend Sabine so this is a great reflective moment not everyone in your network that you're going to call up for advice understands personal branding and authentic identity. So there's some people that you will ask for advice that are well-intended and well-meaning, yeah. but they may not understand the science of personal branding. So I, I just wanted to say that because I actually had a situation this weekend where someone was giving me some advice and I ended up calling another friend that understood personal branding. And I'm like, Hey, like, what do you think about this? Because I'm trying to be open-minded, but it's kind of incongruent and I'm trying to understand this. So I, I just wanted to throw that in there too, Sabine. There's a, in, in the world and age of like self-help and Google and chat GPT and all the things, it's seemingly easy to not need these support groups and, and frameworks, but you also have to know somebody that knows you in this framework. Okay. So I just wanted to that's say that super, no that's super <laughs> cool but you see also i know i remember we are talking about brands for example you know, think about jim alone think about bobby brown i mean think yeah. about amazing 
authentic woman out there and men as well. Let's think about Tony Robbins or Elon Musk, right? The most known um, entrepreneur out there. They have built their own authentic identity and they are very strong at being much bigger than the brand they yeah. support, right? Yeah, so I was thinking like, one of my favorite examples, and we have so many use case examples, all the, all the ones that you mentioned. I mean, you and I talk about these like every every night we like WhatsApp each other about these. But um, one of my favorite personal examples is Tori Burt. And so yeah. I, I literally wore everything she created for like a decade. Um, and I got the opportunity to meet her in person. So that's like just somebody that really resonates with me. But if you if you think about what happened with Tori, and I don't know how many people know her story, but um, she created this brand. She, she's actually one of the first self-made billionaires. And, and I mean, she came from money. I get it. But when she was going through the divorce with her husband, um, he was like control owner of the board. And so um, he literally created a copy or a clone of Tory Burch and set up shop in every retail shop she was in, basically like across the hall from her, right? Like, so it's Tory Burch and it was him. And she sued him and had to go after him, honestly, for um, identity and what he was doing. But what's fascinating is underneath that, Sabine, the pinnacle divide that they had is he wanted to make a cheaper, lower quality product. And she refused to do it because then the brand name is her name. It's Tori yeah. Burt. And she was like, adamant that she would not compromise the quality and, and kind of care of how her identity was being put on something. I mean, you and I could take it to Gucci and all the things, right? But but that was really foundational for her. And so, of course, he disagreed. And when he disagreed, what did he do when he went head to head with her in terms of the competition? He did exactly what she refused to do, right? Like lower quality, lower cost of product, you know, all these things. And it was interesting because not only did she shut him down for infringement and you know, copyright, like all these things, but can you imagine the resolve and strength to stay true to who you are when you're going through that? Yeah. Because I mean, you know, Sabine, like economics get tough when you're funding and you're starting your own business. And I think about that with startups too. And visionaries and change makers, right? This is not easy. It's not easy to stick to something that is your core. Oh, yeah. And it was so much part of her core that I think that for me, she's a really good inspirational example, right? Yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, I also remember, you know, when we talked about Joe Malone, now it's Joe Love, um, Bobby Brown, I think the road, something new brand, uh, because those women have sold their identity yeah. their names let's call it the name not their identity bobby brown is a crazy example of that she sold herself Correct. when she sold her name like she didn't realize that right yeah and so she could not <laughs> use an own name anymore so all those things are very important and we need to actually get to understand the implications whether we are corporate executive or we are a tech founder, whether we are a visionary, all these have implications as to whether it's today, we are 40 to 50, and we are moving to our next level of career, we are moving to the next job of CXO level, or whether we are going to move from corporate life. And we have so many friends moving out of corporate life to build their own businesses. And that is critical. I find it always 
fascinating when I see friends of mine and colleagues who have had amazing CXO roles and then said, okay, I'm done with the corporate life. I'm going to build my own consulting and my own startups. And then you start seeing them more present on LinkedIn. And then we are supporting them for sure, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's just what I think it's very important to understand. And to accelerate that, you need to have your tribe. You need to find your your, your people, people are going to push you, people who are going to help you, people who have done it before. Another point I think is important for you to talk about, Lisa, is the challenge of digital age, right? We're working from home <laughs> and so we are less visible. So that's probably another reason why this is so important, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sabine. But I, th- I, think it's, I think it's twofold. I think it's that we're working from home. It's important to be visible and to show up. And I think it's that... Oh gosh, we could talk about personal versus corporate branding, but I'll just go on record and say no one literally owns your social media presence. No one but you. And so when I started this as saying it's the one thing you can own, literally your corporate can have all sorts of rules, but they cannot control or own your social media brand that that's you and you alone. And we could talk about all that later, but I think in a digital age, and, and I start to see this more and more and more. Yeah. People need to show up as who they are. They need to comment about things that engage them or you know, be themselves authentically when they comment. Because it's not just about like posting. It's also about resonating, like what resonates with you. Um, and it's, it's it, unless you're saying like, love it, exclamation point, or great job, or like it. Like if you get like, if you read anything that people that you admire on social media, right? Like they're pretty much in the weeds on some of those comments. And I remember somebody was like, Lisa, you're like going into a whole business model in the comments on LinkedIn. I'm like, yeah, cool. I just, I'm passionate about it, but go for it. Steal the business model. But I say that to me to say, when we are more and more and more digital yeah, and we own our identity, we bring credibility and authenticity also to the brands with whom we choose to associate. And so we're in this great time now where I'd say forward-thinking companies know this. Middle companies are trying to get on board with it and laggards are just always going to be laggards. Like, who cares? But I think that you now get to show up with friends, colleagues, thinkers. You're sending like a signal out there digitally. And yeah. it, it's amazing that like people that receive this and like the amount of people that have connected with me because we both liked this person and this person said this and we both commented on it. And then the person's like, hey, you comment on that. I comment on that. And we end up having like a 30 minute virtual chat or whatever. Those have become some of my greatest friends. And I mean, they may be in Australia. They may be in Ireland. They may be, okay. you know, Japan or whatever. Clearly a lot of them are in the US too, but like, I just can't impress upon people enough. Most people say, find your authenticity, find your tribe, send your signal out there. And the people that signal back are your people, right? Like it's like this connection. You can't do that if you're not digital. (laughs) And what you're saying is so important because we are in insurance and we have insurance tribes, right? We have strong relationship and connection within our industry at sea level. But the past year, I've connected and engaged with people in marketing, people in branding, learning from them and supporting each other, right, Uh, on social media. And they respond to your 
message and they are the first one writing something to help you out and then you respond as well and so you never know where your your grouping is going to go but i know today we have to build different tribes we have to be present in different groups because we have to learn much faster and we cannot just stay stuck and learn from our own industry because the value we bring to our industry is actually learning from others so Lisa, my next question to you, and my last question as we are going on time, is what would be the advice you would give all those amazing visionary, those executives, those tech founders, you know, why they need to join us to our events and tell them where we are going to be this year, please. Okay, so my main advice I would give people, hopefully you join us at one of our events because we're doing it as a way to give to people. But the first advice I would give you is, it's like starting a choice to be healthy. You do it today. You do it today. Make an active choice to own your identity. You and you alone own it. Don't let anyone else own your identity. And if you don't know what that means, if it's like a diet or being healthy, there's conflicting advice and it seems overwhelming or whatever, we have an authentic identity mastermind. We would love to welcome you to our mastermind and to be part of our cohorts and groups. And to your point, Sabine, we're going to be doing a little bit of a world tour this year. We're so excited. We're going to be in London in March. We're going to be showing up in Hartford in April. We will be in Paris in May and in New York in June. So super excited. We're also going to be finding a way to get this launched virtually for people that can't make it to one of those cities. Uh, we believe in person is amazing. We also want to make sure that we democratize this so that everyone can have an opportunity to join. And I guess, Sabine, the thing I would like to leave everyone with is your identity is your most coveted and tangible asset. This is going to be a little CFOE, goodwill, right? Like it's an tangible <laughs> asset that never depreciates over time. It only increases in value. And so I guess my call to action for everyone is you bring intrinsic value to everyone with whom you choose to associate. And you need to guard that because you need to make sure that you associate personally, professionally, corporate roles, et cetera, with people that also bring electrolytes to you. And so I guess that's the way I would leave this, Sabine, is um, make sure that you're following your compass, not someone else's. And whether it's through Authentic Identity Mastermind or, you know, otherwise, choose your brand and don't be somebody else's, right? That's a very wise word. And um, Lisa, where can people find you? Actually, this is an important question as well. Where oh, well, <laughs> I'm always on LinkedIn and it's always me. So if you're chatting with me on LinkedIn, I'm always on LinkedIn. Um, they can also uh, find me at my website, which is um, 360digitalimmersion.com. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lisa. And as Lisa said, the digital component is on its way. And because we want the face-to-face, -face, but we also want to live an online lasting uh, platform community and so please join us face to face and then you will know more about the digital component as well so Lisa thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth thank you so much and uh, I'll see you very soon in London thank you <laughs>
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Scouting for Growth. Please subscribe, share with friends, and leave a five-star rating. Your rating is so valuable. I'll review all of them and my team help me adapt content to meet your needs. Also connect with me on my preferred channels. I am a B2B growth expert, so you will find me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Threads and X as well, as well as Blue Sky. All information available below. Until next, keep scouting for growth.